Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guests on today's podcast are my new friends, Mallory and Jeff Tingey. Welcome to the podcast. We'll hear first from Mallory. Thank you. And Jeff. Thank you. Um, I'll just try to introduce this podcast, and then I'll give them a chance to correct anything I misspeak. That's usually the format. This is a married couple, active LDS, uh, been married about 11 years. They're in their 30s, early 30s. They have three kids. Um, they live in Bountiful. Um, Mallory is, works full-time at home taking care of the kids. Jeff is a physician. Um, here in Salt Lake City, Mallory grew up in Las Vegas, and Jeff in Salt Lake City. What we're going to talk about is the really difficult experience that occurred about 20 years ago in Mallory's life where she was a victim of sexual abuse from three stepbrothers. And she started to share that story on Instagram. We'll talk about her Instagram page. And she um, reached out to me and felt it would be helpful for you, our listeners, for her to share her story. And my hope is that those of you that are victims or survivors of sexual assaults, those of you that are parents or local leaders or others that are trying to help somebody walking this road, that the things Mallory shares will be helpful for you. That's our prayer. And she joins other heroes that have come on this podcast and bravely and vulnerably shared their stories. So I hope, you know, your prayers, even though they're occurring after the podcast, will sort of be felt for Mallory as she shares um, the things that are very tender for her heart. Um, they both walked in together into my home. And Mallory, tell us the shirt you're wearing. Um, so I had a friend make a shirt for me that said, worth more than shame. And when I told my husband that I had her make it, he's like, well, did you have her make me one? So we both now have twinsy shirts of worth more than shame. And I just love that. Um, so, and I love that you're both wearing the same shirt, and it's very appropriate for this podcast. Anything, Mallory, that I need to correct as far as your bio? No, that was great. Will you tell us the Instagram page? Let's talk. Let's name that Instagram page now, and then we'll name it at the end, at the end of the podcast. So it's worth more than shame, and I just needed to share my story and my feelings and thoughts of that 14-year-old girl who couldn't voice those things at the time. And talk about, um, do you call yourself a victim or a survivor? I feel like both, because I will always be a victim. This always would have, ha would have happened to me, um, but I did survive it, but I also am still working through it. I love that. I, I love your answer there. Talk about why you decided to do the Instagram page and now the podcast. Um, so recently I was just trying to uh, try and find ways that I can help other parents and victims know how to support victims, help victims to feel like they have a voice. And um, an Instagram was suggested by my sister. And so a couple months later after I tried... Uh, writing down different things, um, I started Instagram, and it's been great. I have conversations a lot with people who are victims themselves, who haven't said anything to anybody, or even just parents who have like kids themselves. And so it's doing what I wanted to do of just shedding light to something that we don't talk about enough. 
It's really cool that you're doing that. And I encourage our listeners to check out that Instagram page. Um, I like I like the phrase you said, my 14-year-old self didn't have any... I, I wish I... Whatever you said was better than I'm saying right now, but I love that your 14-year-old self was so alone in that situation. Take us back to your 14-year-old self, and as much as you want to share, tell us what happened. Um, so... I was 12. My parents had been remarried for about a year and a half. And my older stepbrother, Travis, sexually abused me. I didn't tell anybody. I didn't say anything to anyone. Just kind of like it didn't happen. And um, a month and a half later, he left for his mission. And that same morning that he left, my stepbrother, Jason, started to sexually abuse me. And that happened for 13 months. In between that time, a month after he had started, um, there was an incident where he walked in the the shower. And when I told my mom about that, uh, there was arguing happening. My, also my parents took the size of their own child. And my stepdad told us to pack our stuff and go. So we were kicked out. And I never said anything else again because we got kicked out. So, and then around that same time, my stepbrother, Joe, who was my stepmom's son, started to abuse me. We were really good friends. We were really close in age. And so his felt a little bit more betrayal to me because I thought we were good friends. Um, We only lived at our old house for a few months before we moved back to my stepdad's house. And as soon as we moved back, um, Jason picked the abuse right back up almost immediately and he was more bold and more daring. He wasn't as nervous. Um, I also, this whole time I was being abused, I always pretended that I was asleep because that was my body's reaction to trauma is just the freeze response. And I told myself all the time, hey, I'm going to wake up. I'm going to open my eyes. I'm going to show that I'm awake. Or I'm just going to roll over. But it would, it would happen, and I couldn't do anything. And for a long time, I couldn't forgive myself that I didn't stop it, that I didn't even open my eyes. Um, and that was hard uh, because I felt like I allowed it to happen. Um, six months after Joe had started to abuse me, he stopped on his own. Um, and then four months after that is when I remember sitting in a Sunday school lesson and the Strength of Youth pamphlet had just come out, and the teacher was going over, like, the different sections and talking about sexual purity, but then also, like, no one should touch you without permission. And that was when I was like, oh, that is what's happening to me. Before, I didn't, I knew it wasn't right, and I didn't like it, but I didn't know that it was abuse because I just was too young. I was too naive. Um, so the very next day, I actually wrote a note to my friends and told them what happened, and one of them told their mom, and their all moms got together. They called my mom to come over and have her and tell her what was happening. And then they said they called the police, and that was shocking. I didn't know that it was so serious that we were going to the police. And I just didn't realize that it was as serious as it was. And I remember on the way to the police station, I was crying and laying on my head on my grandma's lap, and my mom just seemed so angry. I know that she wasn't angry, but she seemed so angry that she found out from my friend's moms and not from me. Angry that we were going to the police without having to talk 
about it as a family, and I screamed like in my head, oh no, what did I just do? This is terrible. I'm making a mess. I'm destroying the family. Let's just go home. But it was done. It was done, and it happened. I'm glad it happened that way. But at the time, it was a little too much for me. Um, and I didn't say anything about my other stepbrothers because I just wanted the abuse to stop, and that was my only reason for telling. So a month later, my dad called me and said, hey, you know, I was just thinking, has this happened with anybody else? And I said, oh, yeah, Travis and Joe. And I didn't want to get Joe in trouble now that I know how serious it was and how much uh, consequences were going to come from it. And so I lied and said, oh, but just once. It only happened once, but I just wanted to protect him. And so I don't know when I went to report it if I, if I corrected that or if it is, was just as once. I, I don't remember and if that was that was the beginning part of the hardest part of healing from that. I thought once I told it would it would be over with, and I go back to normal life as normal. But healing from that have, was has been harder and more lonely than the abuse was. Thanks for that segment. That takes a lot of courage to just share everything that you shared. So thank you for that segment and just talking about. I mean, I just, I think all our hearts go out to you. You're 12 this time. I was, I was uh, two weeks short of being 14 two when, I, when I, had, I had reported. But so I was 12 and a half about when I started. So this is, and I think you do a good job of helping us understand the abuse and, and just no context for what's going on here. Sharing a note and then all this additional trauma came into your life that's part of just sharing the abuse that complicates everything that you might then feel guilty about too. So it's just secondary trauma. Yeah. Um, talk about why you mentioned specific names here. So I have six stepbrothers altogether, and I didn't want the ones who are innocent to be confused with the ones who were the perpetrators. I didn't feel like that was fair to make the guessing game for anybody who knows our family. Talk about things that you would, you're roughly 20 years removed from your 12-year-old self. Do you want to talk about things you'd share if you could talk to that little girl right now? Oh, that's a, that's a hard one. Um, sorry. <laughs> I felt like she was very alone. Um, a lot of time I felt like I needed to be happy to keep everyone around me happy. I didn't want my family to be worried about me. So I pretended I was fine and happy. And I just wish that I would have known that I wasn't alone and that I wasn't unloved. Um, and it wasn't my fault, even though I felt like it was. So many other things happened around that I, I blamed myself. That how does it happen with three set brothers? One, okay, that happens, but three just I must have done something, um, and I wish I could help her understand that it wasn't because it took a long time for me to forgive myself for how I reacted and not saying anything, and um, just to know that I'm not alone and I could have talked to somebody and it would have helped. 
It's a really good answer on a pretty tender, tough question. Um, Jeff just moved his chair right next to Mallory, and I just sense he knew that would be a tough question and just loves his wife and is with her as she's sharing this podcast. Um, Let's talk, what are the, I kind of, there's about three or four areas that I hope we can go to. One is um, um, just kind of the path to healing. And let me ask a question right now, 20 years later, you kind of mentioned this. Are you totally healed from this? No, I feel like because I shoved a lot of things down that um, it has all turned to resurface of a lot of unprocessed traumas that I am just recently trying to face and fight through. Will you talk, I, I love that answer. I think it's a realistic answer. I think people that have never been victims and I've never been a victim. I think we want to just have this part of your life over so we can kind of check that box off. You're healed. And then I don't sort of have to wonder how you're doing, but I recognize, I love your answer that you're, it's still a journey for you. And I think that helps all of us realize this is really hard and really complex. And it may not just be a nice tidy box where everything is neatly the way it was again. It may never be the way it was again. And that just may be the reality of your situation. And But I love that even though you're not fully healed, how much progress you've made and how much understanding you have of the situation. Talk about this term you just used, unprocessed trauma. Um. Because I didn't express my feelings and I didn't talk, I went to counselors that maybe I wasn't as open in my teenage years um, because it was uncomfortable. And I also didn't feel like I knew how to articulate my feelings. I didn't know how to name the deep emotions because they were so big for my 14-year-old mind to comprehend um, that because I didn't know what to do with them. I just stored them away thinking that it would go away. And for a time when I moved away from home, I thought I was fine. I did I was doing great. I didn't see my abusers anymore. And I thought I was okay. And then it just popped back up in my life where I didn't feel like I had control and I just I don't know. I lost a lot of of myself when I was 14 and um, trying to mourn how my life would have been without the abuse was hard. And now trying to learn how to adjust my life to accepting that it happened and not accepting the abuse, but the trauma and the feelings and emotions and um, just how I handled it is hard now to try to figure out why I did what I did and how it plays into my life now. I love that phrase you said, I didn't know to, to name, the, I didn't know how to name and handle the deep emotions. I think that helps me understand better just where you were at 14, 15, 16. There was, no, there was no ability to sort of understand these deep emotions, name them, how to process them. Do you think it, do you think it was possible that you could have addressed this earlier? Do you think that was just part of your individual journey that it, it came later in your life to sort of, you know, see this unprocessed trauma and be able to fully go there so you can start to heal? 
I don't think I could have, even if I was asked, I don't think I could have named how I felt. And I don't think I could even pinpoint how I can now of how it was handled through my parents. They didn't intentionally do things to hurt me, but choices they made made me feel like I was unloved or uncared for. It wasn't on purpose, but now I can, I know like, oh, that's why I felt that way. But I didn't know how to put that in words. And I don't know if anybody would have asked me if I would have been able to say that. I like that answer. And I think um, for those of you that are listening that maybe sense you have some of the same feelings that Mallory has, but you're just not able yet to know how to name them, know exactly how they are in process, and maybe that's okay. And maybe but be aware, just like Mallory, that there may come a time for you when you're able to do that. It's not a sign of weakness now. It's not a sign of denial. It's just the reality of the road you walk. And give, give yourself self-love if you can't sort of, at this point, do what Mallory's now been able to do. But I think one of the things you're giving other victims is hope that there is a path to healing and that you've been on this path. Do you want, you mentioned your parents, and I would guess your parents did some really good things and some things that weren't helpful, just like I have done as a parent, you know, at times with our kids. Do you want to talk about that part of your story right now? Sure. Okay. Um, and I've had long conversations with my mom since doing this Instagram of where I can finally say, you did these things and I, and this made me feel that way. And her, I just didn't know. I thought I was doing the right thing. I thought I was okay. Um, like we went on family vacations afterwards where I sat on a plane next to Travis, where I sat at dinner tables with Travis and Jason. We took family pictures like we were fine um I'm just like well you didn't see anything I was like yeah because I didn't know how I didn't know how to speak up for myself I also just wanted everyone around me to be okay um so there's just things that that happened that just I don't know why they happened um I went camping two months after I recorded Joe we went camping together and my mom didn't say hey I don't think that's a good idea and I don't know why my dad took me on that camping trip I think just everyone just wanted life back normal, and so did I, but there was nothing normal any, like anymore. We, we now are not a blended family, and that is not ever going to happen because of this happening. Um, so I felt like a lot of times, um, and my parents did this intentionally, but I felt like they chose their spouses or their marriage over me, where I was the victim and I was the child. And that's where I needed them to step up and support me and make it so that I didn't have to see my abusers um, because we were step. It's more, I mean, more complicated if they're my real siblings, but we were step and we could have separate activities and things. And I'd have to be expected to be at Christmas parties and birthday parties and things like that, um, which my mom, I mean, these conversations, my mom, she's, she feels bad and she understands now the things she chose to do and how that made me feel. It's hard for her to understand that and it's hard for her to think back that she made me feel that way. But I just feel like my parents just didn't have the resources either to know what would be best. 
and maybe going back to normal they thought would be best. Um, Sitting next to your abuser on a plane, that's, uh, of all the ones you've said, they're all difficult. But for some reason, that's the one that sticks in my head. Well, that's really scary. I don't know what that would be like to be sitting next to your abuser on a plane. It's really uncomfortable. Um, yeah, it was a five-hour plane ride. And even on one of the excursions riding back, he sat next to me. And we were tubing, so we're in swimsuits. So that was even more of like, you're too close to me. Even in the beginning of seeing them, I was full of anxiety. It made me feel freezing, like I was cold and I couldn't breathe. Um, it was even just hearing your voices, things like that, or even beginning like hearing about them was hard. So two months later going camping with Joe um, was, I don't even know why that happened. And then going on a cruise later with uh, Travis and Jason. I, I don't know. I don't know. Would you like parents to do in those kind of situations if you're coaching a parent that's aware that this has happened in their own family and aware that potentially there's going to be some family interaction? What would you, what would you want them to do? I feel like uh, they're just, you have to, everything has to be separate. Like, you know, that that's, that is the consequences of what happened. And we can't be, have Christmas morning together. We can't go on family vacations. And now, uh, now that we're all older, we all like our vacations are all separate. My stepdad comes along with us and my mom goes along with them. We don't do things together. And that it is now because we're now we're adults and we can speak a little bit more. Um, but I feel like the abuser has to be removed from the life of the victim so they can heal. I didn't feel like I could heal. There was pictures of them on our walls the entire time I lived there. Travis worked for my stepdad at the home office, so I saw him all the time. Um, he would, Travis would come to my work and say hi to me. It was, they were just constantly around and I didn't feel like I could heal from that because they were always around. So yes, you don't want to, I don't know, you want to keep your family together, but it just can't be that way anymore. So wouldn't if I were your parent, it wouldn't be enough for me to say, Mallory, would you is it okay if you sit by X on the plane? That wouldn't be enough, or I've separated you from so and so on the plane. I need as your protector, as your parent, to physically separate you from your abuser. Yes. And not make you make that decision or put in that situation because you, you you're not the authority in that situation to be able to protect yourself. You're still a minor and you're probably a natural peacemaker that wants to keep everything together and not cause any family drama. And you're aware that some has happened because you just told a friend what was going on, which is the right thing to do. And it created this, you know, this family situation that you're probably, I don't want to do that anymore. And so you need an adult to sort of do for you what you can't do for yourself and recognize the need for that and sort of put you first. Is that what you're helping yes. us understand? Because I was even, I don't know if I was asked about the cruise, um, but me and Jason did have a restraining order and that was signed without my knowledge that we can go on this cruise and I was just told about it. And I don't know if I was asked okay if we can go on the cruise, I don't remember, but I probably would have said, okay, that's fine because 
I didn't know how to voice and stand up for myself. And on that plane, sitting down, I can say, oh, hey, no, you can't sit by me. I, I need you to go sit by your other siblings. But instead, he sat by me and my little sister. And I, I just couldn't stand up for myself. So even if, like, my mom would have asked me, is this okay? I probably would have said, yeah, that, that's fine, even though it wasn't. Because I just didn't know how, just didn't know how to do that. I didn't know how to voice for myself. And that's not a sign of weakness. I think it's just the age and you had no context. You, if you had spent time with older people who have been a victim of abuse and learned how to handle these situations, there's no beehive lesson. We don't have beehives anymore in my maids and laurels. You're in that age group, but there's never been a lesson. There's never been any training. I assume nothing at school. So there's no context to process. I, I mean, I think what you've done is just heroic for what you've done. I think you need to look at yourself that way, that even when you went back and you talked about, I just pretended to be asleep, I think that's the very best you could do. And I think you did the very best you could in an impossible situation. And I'm sure that's what your older self would, just like you're saying, would say to you now is you did the very best. And even though now you might handle it different, but that's not fair because you were 12 at the time with no context. Yeah. And you also just don't really, I don't, just don't know how your body's going to react to trauma. You also don't know that those situations are going to cause some rippling effects later on. And that I didn't send for myself. I didn't say, you can't sit by me. Or, no, I don't want to go camping. Because you just, you're just too little and you need your parents and the adults in the situation to step up and be the parents and help you process like everything that you're going through because you don't know how to do that. You kind of mentioned there were two traumas, the trauma of the sexual abuse and the trauma of everything that happens later. Is that correct? Yeah. And do you feel like one's worse than the other or just different types of trauma? Or is it like being re-traumatized? And just any thoughts on that? It's different. The abuse was different because it was, I could ignore it for the rest of the day. I didn't have to think about it. I can push it away. Um, and it was terrible in its own way. But afterwards, it was it was in my mind all the time. Um, just, it just was, and I was out. People I knew knew, people my family knew. And it just, it, it had to be something I had to face. It was something that I now had to deal with that before I didn't have to. And then having the lack of support I feel like I had just made healing from it harder. Talk about, if you want to, you mentioned that it all, you know, this um, unprocessed trauma, I love that term you used, sort of came out later in in a recent period of time. Talk about why it came out um, later and and you recognize those unprocessed trauma. Um, so there's a couple of different points of where I recognized it was. So uh, a few years ago, when Jeff was in his residency, he was super busy, and I was a young mom to two young kids, and I just felt like I didn't have any control of anything anymore, and I just needed to be in control of something, is when um, I had started a germophobia, OCD, anxiety, and... I just thought that that was just because. Um, It wasn't until recently that I sat in on a release study activity where we had 
think her name is Melanie Holt, came and talked, and she is an anxiety and depression therapist. And she talked about having unprocessed traumas as tabs, and if they're unprocessed, they just move along your life and just drag across, and they can play out into different ways. A lot of times, traumas can be uh, play out in like anxiety and psychological um, degrees, and so that was when I was like, oh, that is why like I have this lack of control, and I want to be in control of something. I can wash my hands and Lysol everything because I wanted to control something. And so listening to her talk was realizing my traumas that I just had shut down is that's where it come from. It came out and now I'm dealing with it now. That's very helpful for me to sort of see the, the dots you connected from that that lesson. And if I understand that correctly, you're dealing with OCD, but you recognize that was connected to the unprocessed trauma. And is it correct then to solve the OCD or manage the OCD? You have to go back to the trauma and sort of deal with that? From my understanding, yes, because I have tried going to like therapists to help with my OCD and germophobia. Um, but it's because I, I need to fix and to heal from the traumas to be able to then fix my OCD. Uh, I want to make sure we talk about uh, church leaders and church culture. Um, I'm going to read a little bit of your email you sent to me. Um, I was taught modesty in church. How I was taught modesty in church really affected my guilt. I felt as though I must have dressed inappropriately and brought it upon myself. After the abuse was reported, I was constantly told this would be, uh, I was constantly told I would be so grateful for this trial. Talk about that first part, just that, you know, modesty is the sort of, we sometimes create a feeling that you being immodest somehow is the reason this happened, even if you weren't immodest. Yeah, so, I mean, we're giving these lessons, and even to this day, I still hear people say, oh, we got to get these girls, like, you got to get the boys on missions, and if you dress immodestly, then you're causing them to have immoral thoughts, and so I thought, okay, that makes sense. I must have and I was constantly being getting in trouble about wearing tight shirts for my parents. And so I was like, oh, that makes sense. I, I wore tight shirts. That's immodest. And I must have caused them to have immoral thoughts. And that was what happened. So I took that as it was my fault because of how I dressed. And we give these lessons to girls still to this day of their immodest dressing is the cause of boys' actions and their thoughts. And we need to teach girls that they are confident young women and Heavenly Father gave them bodies and curves and that is not a bad thing and is not on them and how they dress is not a reflection of their value, of their virtue. But if we are just respectful and we love ourselves, that reflects in our attitude and how we dress and how we see ourselves. Big thumbs up for me on that last segment. I certainly didn't understand that the last five or ten years. Jeff, do you have any comments on that? Um, putting you on the spot here, just this culture where we sort of teach that men keeping a lot of chastity is not sort of conditional upon our own agency, but women um, dressing modestly because we're kind of out of control. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, we've we've had this conversation, and as we're raising two girls, right? How how we're going to address this 
issue of you know them having self-worth and feeling as though they can dress and express themselves as they wish, but also having that self-respect. Um, and then as it, you know, and, and we have a son as well, and him respecting his his sisters and the other children of God that um, do express themselves by the way they dress. Um, it's it's a difficult line to walk, but um, you know, as as men, we need to be respectful for all the women around us, and no matter if they're wearing something that shows their their shoulders or is a little more revealing than maybe church standards. That's fine. That's the way they want to dress, and we have to be able to control our actions and thoughts because of that. Love that. How did this make you? You've kind of said this, Mallory. But how did it make you feel inside when you internalize these messages that this is just my fault? I felt. It, I just felt guilty. I felt like I must have done something. Um, that was my only thought. That it was me. And having the lessons that we were given and then having the lessons of chewed gum and, you know, that you're not the same. Also conflicted with what we're taught about the atonement. If you make a mistake, you can repent. But but we teach, well, you're chewed gum if you make a mistake and you can't be, you can't be whole again. Um, I feel like those lessons have just have been, I don't, that's not doctrine, it just comes cultural lessons, we just pass it down. And, and because we're not addressing issues, if the girls, it wasn't their choice to be, have be sexually abused or touch in any way, we just teach if they're engaged in any sexual activities, which anybody can internalize that, oh, well, this is a sexual activity, my choice or not. And we don't give lessons of but it's not your fault, and it's okay. And like, if even if you make that mistake willingly, you're not broken. Chewed gum, I kind of cringe. Did you feel like chewed gum because of this, even though you weren't responsible? I felt broken. I felt it wasn't my choice to be touched, um, and I was touched by someone I didn't want to be touched by. I was 14, 13, and I didn't even know half this stuff happened to me was what people do um, because I just was naive. So I felt broken in that I knew more than I felt like I should have. Honest. Did you think you were then not worthy, would ever be worthy of a temple marriage and someone to love you? Um, no, that didn't affect me that way. I just... Um, I don't know if I felt unworthy of being loved by someone like a future. That just was something that was just too far in the future for me to process that I didn't think about. I'm glad you didn't go down that road. Um, your 14, 15, 16-year-old self, and you were able to not, because of this experience, rule opportunities up down the road for you out. Um, I love that you didn't do that, because obviously you've got a great husband and a temple marriage, and I'm able to talk more about that. Talk more about um, this idea. I read two things in this thing. Let's go back to the other one, um, if I can find it. I was constantly told to be grateful for this trial. Yeah, people were trying to be consoling, and I knew they meant well. But telling me that I was going to be grateful just seemed like that I was either 
really being dramatic about this whole thing because it's not that big of a deal that I would be grateful for it. And then also made me feel like I was, I don't know, like I was ungrateful that I'm not picking out the joy of the journey and hear those lessons of like, oh, find the joy. But I didn't, I needed time to process and not be told, be grateful for it. Because now 20 years later, I can be somewhat because I can now like, I know better things of how to raise my children. And now with the Instagram, being able to connect with other women who were abused and have those connections and being able to be a voice for people who can't, haven't been able to find their voice that I can be grateful for. But at 14, I didn't see what was grateful. Our family was destroyed. I felt broken and alone. I, I didn't understand how I would be grateful for that. You shouldn't be. Um, I like that. And I like that you said, I'm somewhat grateful now. And I, I don't think any of us from the exterior should impose a timeline on you completely healing from this. And even if there's others that have, quote unquote, completely healed in a shorter time or a longer time, I think everybody's journey is unique to them. And I, as an outside counselor, a church leader, a friend, shouldn't point to someone else's story or someone else's experience. I love that you're just honest through what you says. I'm somewhat healed. To me, that, and I get tenderhearted here, to me, that's a sign that you just completely own your story and own your journey on your terms. And you've maybe, and you've just said, this is my journey, and you're processing it with your husband. And I love that about what, where you are. And I think that's the road to healing is to completely own your story and be authentic with it. Yeah. I'm going to read another thing um, as we're kind of on what we can do to help. Being told by LDS counselors, bishops, and leaders that I needed to forgive my abuser to move on halted my healing. I feel like that plays along with the grateful for my trial because I, being told that, I felt like I, it was, it felt impossible. I'm like, how am I supposed to forgive them? They don't feel sorry. Joe was the only one I got a sincere apology from where he felt bad and he was remorseful. And I mean, his email was just constant. I'm so sorry. This was wrong. I'm so sorry. The other two I got kind of sorry, but they weren't really heartfelt and um, their actions didn't show that. And so with Joe, I was able to, um, I wasn't as bitter with him and angry for a long time, but the others I weren't, I was. And so um, being like trying to forgive them just seemed like impossible. And because I wasn't, that maybe I just wasn't praying hard enough or I wasn't doing something right that that's why it's not working out. And I also wasn't told that you need to forgive yourself first because that was something I needed to learn to forgive myself for how I reacted, how I didn't do things, how I didn't tell my mom right away and then it lasted for a year. Um, I needed to forgive myself for those things. And, but instead I was told to forgive them and you'll heal. I'm like, oh, I'm not going to heal because I can't forgive them. And I couldn't for a long time. And I still, I don't even know if I truly have all the way. I, I, I can't pinpoint that if I am fully forgiven of them. That's a really helpful segment for me. Um, I just recognize I'm adding to your burden if I'm asking you to forgive people. It seems like 
that go back and going back to the word you used, I feel broken inside. That just adds to the feeling of being broken. I'm being told to forgive people that I don't know how to forgive. And I would like to, but it's just not possible for me. So then you internalize that and say, there must be something that's wrong with me. But really, you are not, the, the, the perpetrators here are these bad guys. I mean, they're the ones that have caused the trauma. And what we're putting on you to sort of, I just, I recognize where that's just adding to your burden. Talk about, a lot of listeners would say, they'd want to say, Mallory, you don't need to forgive yourself. You didn't do anything wrong here. Talk about why you do want to forgive yourself or just maybe it's a different type of forgiving. Maybe the forgiving, it's the same word we're using kind of two different situations. But talk about that just a little bit more. Yeah. So I was told constantly afterwards it wasn't my fault. And I knew the actual abuse wasn't my fault, that I played no active part in that. But like I said before, I thought my immodest dressing of tight shirts is what made it happen. And that what, and because I didn't stop it, also, like, I allowed it to happen. And so I felt like it was my fault. And I needed to forgive myself that that was how I reacted and that was okay. That my response wasn't a fight or flight. My response was freeze because that was how my body reacted and that was okay. We also... I feel like we're taught all the time, if someone does something to you, you fight and you kick and you scream and you do all you can to run away. But we don't always talk about, and it's okay if you don't. It's okay because a lot of rape victims as well, they don't fight back and they, you know, we don't talk about that. But it is a common theme to just, your body just takes over and you just do what you can to get through that moment. And you're not at fault because you don't do anything. And I feel like that is something I had to just really work on myself that I just because I didn't do anything doesn't mean it was my fault. I love that. We did a podcast that will be released, a couple podcasts before this one. Um, And I learned something from the woman that was a victim of sexual abuse. I learned there's not necessarily a correlation between, I mean, in my mind, I might rank sexual abuse from different types from the 10 to a 2 and they're all in the sexual abuse range and I've, and I've learned not to try to figure out where you are there, what exactly happened, that's your story and maybe you share that privately with some people but I've learned to not sort of try to tie the trauma in with the actual sexual abuse so if you're feeling a trauma of a 10 but I became aware it was I don't know, I don't want to get too specific here that I just recognize that I shouldn't try to measure your trauma or gauge your trauma tied into trying to understand what the level of sexual abuse that you just have trauma and I just honor your trauma. You don't need to justify it to me. You don't need to validate it for me. I don't need to know the backstory to know exactly what happened to understand your level of trauma. It just what occurring for you and that on its merit is enough for me to just accept. And so that's something that I've come to learn a little bit more just talking to people that have been victims of sexual assault. Do you want to share any more about what we can do better as leaders or church culture in this space? Um, Our modesty lessons, we need to be different. I think that was a major thing for me. And I cringe when those lessons are still given and I have got to like stand up and say, no, we cannot teach this. It is not the girl's job and responsibility 
of the boys' actions. Um, we maybe teach modesty differently. Really agree, and I think that's where we create shame. There's so much shame around this subject that just isolates people and makes them feel unworthy of God's love or look in the mirror and not feel they're okay. So I really agree with that. And some of these analogies to spit out gum, I like where you said we're taught to fight, and I remember hearing those as a young man being taught, hearing the young women were told to fight and it would be better that they would die than lose their virtue and some of these things. And I recognize just the, the, the unrealistic expectations created in those lessons. And I love where you, the best you could do was what you did. And that doesn't mean you were weak. I think you're incredibly strong. But the guilt and shame and brokenness that creates, if we hear one thing and, and, and it's just not our lived experience. Any more thoughts on that? No. Um, and I love the idea of virtue is what we look for in a spouse, not necessarily virginity or not necessarily someone who's not been sexually active or sexually active. And you being a victim, it doesn't mean you're sexually active. But I think we should always look for virtue in somebody and not some checklist requirement that, it, that includes some level of I just think that may rule out our future spouse if we're ruling people out that have been sexually active on their own choice. That's not a, a not part of being sexually abused or people that were sexually abused. Are you okay with what I just said there? Yeah. It's kind of a tender subject, and I don't want to. Okay. Um, I just think we've created a culture there that sometimes I used to say this is the why I say is you may be ruling out somebody you should marry if you have this checklist requirement of their past. Um, things they can control and things they can't control and look for their heart and their goodness. Um, let's talk about some more questions. Some of my guests come with some questions that helps me as the moderator here. And we may have touched on some of these, but here's a question. Um, how do we help victims remove shame from them and righteously place it on their aggressors? Uh, talking about it because I felt like it was a hush subject, and it's getting better now. Um, but before, I didn't feel like I could ever talk about it without someone being like, "Oh, we don't, we don't talk about that." I didn't ever feel like I could be, um, I could reference it in a talk, um, unless I just said trial, because we just don't talk about those things. But we need to because these things happen. Um, I mean, the statistics of girls being. Um, sexually abused is one in four before they're 18. So we need to talk about it because it happens. And if we don't talk about it, we can't expect victims to then come forward saying, hey, this happened if we don't talk about it. So I felt like if we can be open and honest about the terrible things that happen, then maybe, and it's not because it's not our fault. We don't need to be embarrassed about it. I didn't make the choice. It wasn't me, so why do I need to hide it, and why do I need to keep this because it wasn't me? Love that answer. What were what were things that were said that were meant to be consulting but weren't? Um, just the things of of saying uh, that you'll be grateful for this trial uh, and to forgive. They weren't being intentionally mean. They were just. You know, they thought that would be helpful. My mom saying, why didn't you tell me 
was, and even just recently talked about this, like, because I couldn't say that. But saying those things means I felt like I was betraying her or that I didn't trust her until I just couldn't say it. So they weren't hateful comments. It just was something I, they, were, they just didn't know that what they were saying was I was internally taking it differently. I love that. And sometimes I know that I give a platitude and somebody else helped me understand a platitude. It's just sort of a simple answer that kind of keeps me emotionally safe and my ability to kind of move on, but fully keeps me from understanding the difficulty of your road. So when I say this is all for your good or that kind of make, lets me kind of move on, but I recognize that it doesn't, doesn't allow me to understand the complexity of your road and fully meet your needs. Or if I make it about me, um, that just adds to your burden. I, uh, you're the victim here, and so my focus, if I'm a parent or a local leader or a friend, needs to be on you and not perhaps me. Maybe there's a different time for me to think about, you know, how this has affected me, and I may need other people in my life to help me. But you as the victim shouldn't sort of be helping me if I'm a friend or somebody in your circle. I need to my role is to help you heal. Are you okay with what I said? Yeah. Um, how did you ex- how did you experience victim shaming in the church? Uh, the lessons of modesty was made me feel like that it was my fault and that we couldn't talk about it made me feel it's my fault. Um, that was um, in the church. I but I also experienced victim shaming through um, Jason's family, when they found out I was called names, I rumors were spread that I seduced him. And people I didn't know gave me dirty looks. It was just this overwhelming of I was I was in the wrong. Um, and because of that, we didn't say anything when my parents found out about Travis because we didn't want to add fuel to the fire. But instead, that just made me hide his shame for him all these years because... I don't know who knows about him and all it needs to be known, but it needs to not be my secret. I need to hide. Um, there was also instances of where people I thought who were on my side and protected me made comments. Um, my dad, when he found out about Jason was very angry and was angry with my mom. Like, how did you let this happen? We're not watching. We're not protecting her. But that's because he didn't know what was happening in his home. So when he found out about Joe, his stepson, um, he was a lot different towards him and reacted different. Months later, talking to him, uh, he made the comment, you know, Mal, boys be boys. And that, that just was like he was protecting my abuser and not me as his daughter. I know he wasn't necessarily meaning it as it be hurtful, but it felt like he was just, this isn't a big deal. Boys be boys. These things happen. And that was, um, that was hard. Boys will be boys. I, I cringe on that one. Yeah. The message there is, um, there, you're, this isn't a big deal. It's your fault. You shouldn't be making it, shouldn't be talking about this. It shouldn't be causing you any difficulty. It's just part of life, and this is just what happens. Yeah. And dismissing your pain and trauma. That's painful. And I'm glad you shared that, even though those are people 
in your lives. I think that just is part of this podcast, trying to help us do better so we don't make the same mistakes. Yeah. Um, in what ways can we support victims? Um, for me, I needed someone to talk to. I needed someone to listen to me, even though I probably would have pushed them away because I didn't want to talk. Um, that summer that I had reported them, um, I remember being very lonely and I wanted to be alone because the emotions were so, just so heavy and so loud that I just needed to be by myself. But I also needed someone to just check in on me. I felt like after a month of reporting, my family just moved on to normal life and, and everyone went back to normal, which I did too, but that was, life wasn't going to be normal for me. And I needed to move on that I was no longer going to be the same person that I was before the abuse because that has, that was broken. That was gone. And so I needed someone to talk to, even if I wasn't going to talk to them, I just needed them to talk to me. Um, I know my mom loves me, but my parents love me, but I didn't feel that at that time. I just feel like it was too hard for everyone to handle. So everyone just went along with their lives. And then I was left alone to try to put these pieces together and to figure out what was happening. But I was 14. And if my parents at the age of like 40 something couldn't figure out what to do, I don't know how a 14 year old was supposed to figure out what to do. And so talking to your victims that is what they need also like even just that nurturing physical touch of hugs or like cuddling or just being there with them to reverse the ugliness that they experienced those things could have helped my healing but instead I also had to that just added to my trauma of feeling like this was all on me I was alone to do this and good luck Talk about why physical touch could have healed you. And it could that have been from a trusted male and a trusted female? Would it have been different? Um, I was closer to my mom. I lived with my mom. Um, so I feel like even just being that, like, nurturing, that it's okay. That uh, please ride to my um, leg on my, laying on my grandma's lap and her just, like, stroking my hair was so calming that just... I just needed something just to know that I was okay and um, just to reverse those feelings of these are good touches, these are loving ones, these are not here to hurt you, just to reverse those feelings. Could a male have done that for you at that point of your life? If I'm a father of a daughter that's been a victim of sexual abuse by the hands of a male, could that have been a male in your life if it was a trusted? Was it better coming from a female, or maybe you don't know? I don't know. It could have. Um, I didn't live with my dad, so my relationship wasn't as close as my mom. Um, so it's, a, it's okay. I mean, I think other kids, I mean, kids just have certain strong relations with one parent or the other, and so that would have made a difference. It's interesting how healing that was for what your grandma did. Um, and I think my advice to everybody in these situations is to talk about touch. So if I'm your father and I know my daughter's been a victim of sexual assault, and I would probably have a conversation with her and say, is it, would you like me to put arm around you? Would, you? would it be helpful if I touched you at times in an appropriate father-daughter way or not? And just to have a conversation about it. And 
so there's not awkwardness there. It's not re-traumatizing or potentially is just a, a father. So I love the role of touch. It can be very healing. Anything you want to add there? No, I think so. You're doing a great job. I want to talk... Um, I just want to talk about... Um, you've been married to 11 years to Jeff. You have three kids. He's here with us. Did you talk to Jeff about being a victim of sexual abuse did, before you got married? I had told him when we were dating um, just because I felt like it was something he needed to know. But I also at that time thought I was fine. I was over it because at the time I hadn't lived at home and I wasn't seeing my abusers. And so I thought it was okay. So I feel like I'm just nonchalantly, oh, hey, by the way, um, so we did talk about it then, and I feel like even now starting my Instagram, he is, he knew details, like, as we're married, I, I tell him more things, but um, I think he has found out more um, intimate feelings of, like, how I felt um, now since this Instagram, because we talk about it probably more than he wants to, <laughs> and we discuss, like, what I should say, and if this is okay, if this is too heavy for people to hear, um, so we talk about it a lot. Do you remember how he responded when you talked about it when you were dating? Um, I think he just gave me a hug. He doesn't have he didn't have words to say. Um, but that is knowing I mean being married now, like that is when he feels really guilty or he feels really bad or things like that, that is his response of comfort of I don't have anything to say, but I'm gonna give you a hug and that is his his way of showing do you remember how that felt to you when he gave you a hug as you opened up? I don't know. I mean, it's I'm a long sure. time ago. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't. It was a, not a bad experience. No, like. no, it, it wasn't. It wasn't bad. And it was, um, I mean, obviously, it wasn't like, uh, okay, that's weird. I don't know. Like, he, he responded like it, you know, respectfully. Do you remember, Jeff, when she first told you that? And did it change your feelings about the relationship or your wife? So I do remember her telling me, I don't remember a ton of the details, but it definitely didn't change how I thought about her. Um, I guess the way I remember it is, I think it was a little early on in our courtship, you know, I, I asked about her relationship with her step family, right? Because um, I, I haven't experienced that. I don't know what that's like. And so I asked her because she didn't really talk about him much. We hadn't really seen him. And and so she, I think that's how we transitioned into into that conversation. And like she said, um, taken back a little bit, but just knew that this was an amazing woman that I met, and um, that I wanted her to to feel safe with me, and um, that that was just that was a portion of her, but not you know what defined her. I knew that she was just an amazing woman that. I want to be around and made me happy. So I don't really bookmark that in our courtship at all. I, I love that answer. And I love that you don't bookmark it. It wasn't like a pivotal. It was just, it, it seemed like a, not a major event for you. It was just part of learning Mallory's story. And I had something, there's a maturity of where you, how you handled that that not every man would have. Or an ignorance. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Talk about, this is sort of now a segment, what the spouse can do to help the spouse that's experienced the trauma to heal. My first impression is 
a spouse can't be responsible to be their savior or their therapist or their healer, but a spouse has a role to play to help them overcome this and to be safe. Do either of you want to talk? Maybe I'll ask Mallory first. What has Jeff, what has Jeff done that's helpful for you? And this is you talking to other spouses. And if there's some things that Jeff hasn't done a very good job of, you could share those. Um, he has just been, he is really good at letting me just talk until I am done talking. Um, and for me, that is what is healing for me. I just, being able to uh, really express those feelings um, helps me process those things, uh, being able to put words to those feelings. And he is great about letting me talk. And instead of watching a show, we will end up talking about this instead. And so he's, <laughs> he's really nice that way. How did you respond when you want to talk more publicly about this, like the Instagram account? When I first told him, he was like, okay, do it. If that's what you feel like you need to do, let's do it. What do you want to, what's going to be your first post? What are you going to say? And uh, for the first little bit, that was about a month, I think I wrote out all my posts for the first little bit. And he has helped me edit them. Um, my sister as well, as well has also been my editor because I am not that good of writing things out um, without run-on sentences and incorrect grammar. So he is my support of, of just, hey, let's correct this. Hey, how do you want to say that? This kind of, I don't really understand what you're talking about here. So he is really supportive in that and just, what do you need me to do? How did it make you feel when he said, let, when he just gave you the green light to do that? Great. He was all for it. And I mean, even the same of him wearing, wanting to have a shirt made for him was like, yeah, let's do this. I'm like, oh, okay. All right. Like. It's it's nice to not be alone in that, and that I don't feel like I have to be the only one to uh, do it. I'm not sure I would have responded like Jeff. Um, maybe I would have, um, but I think I, and I recognize if I had responded in a way that, I don't know, Han, or let's keep our story quiet, or we don't want the attention. I recognize the message of shame that that would create if I did that as your spouse, and that you have been feeling for a couple decades. And the de-shaming work you're doing right now for yourself and for others by talking about this and Jeff responding with, let's go for it. And instead of sort of baiting you on it, saying, I'm in your court, I'll help you do this. Um, it, and he didn't even say it's your deal. It sounds like he said, let's, you know, I'll help. And you've used him as a resource to do this. So it's kind of a team effort as you're leading the effort. Is that, is that true? Yeah. No, and he's been great. He is, he's like, oh, hey, I saw someone so commented, and that's great. And he is all about, um, about, and like when I, in the very beginning, when I, I kept getting some messages, but from people, and we had like long conversations, um, he was like, that is awesome. It's doing what you wanted to do. And I was like, I know, it's do like, I didn't think it would. I was just like, well, let's just put it out there and let's see. But, my goal was to let other people have voices and to maybe articulate things that people haven't been able to do themselves and just help other parents know how to protect our kids. And if we can't prevent it, then let's like know how we can help support them so they can heal differently. I love that. Talk, Jeff, why you responded that way. Um, just talk 
talk to our listeners why you responded that way. Well, the first thing is I know I'm not going to stop Mallory. She's going <laughs> to do it, right? So I'm either going to be on her side or I'm going to be against her. Um, but but I've seen, um, again, from the beginning of our relationship where she said that, you know, things were okay because she hadn't really confronted it and things were buried and then coming out and, you know, seeing um, the anxieties that were caused because of, um, because of the, the things that haven't been processed. And I knew that, that as she shared things that she was going to talk to people, that she was going to touch people and that it was going to be very helpful for others and for herself. So, I mean, why would I not be supportive of this? I admire that. Um, I think that's, I love the way you jointly are doing this. I love the way Mallory reached out to me for the podcast, but Jeff came with her. So I recognize you could have come alone, but I just, and you're both kind of busy and you've got three kids and you're working as your doctor. And I love the fact that you're here with her and the message that sends that there's no shame and there's total support. And I love that the co-nature of the Instagram account and just the whole effort that you're doing, but your, your partner's with you on this road as best he can. And just the message that sends about how he feels about you. And I think that's a great lesson for all of us to support our partners. Um, any more thoughts either of you have on that subject? No. I sort of do go down this road that is triggering at times that there will be some paydays because of this experience. I hope that's okay. Um, do you see some paydays? Even though you would, this is pure evil, are there silver linings to this or things? I don't know what right words are because I don't want to take something as horrible as this trauma and, and say there's silver linings, but they're just things that I don't want to use. The, you're grateful for this experience, but are there just however you want to frame it? Do you want to talk about that at all? Um, my silver lining, if, if I could help parents uh, just know how to be there for their kids, through any kind of trauma, but specifically child abuse, um, then that would make putting my story on Instagram, on social media, and being open worth it. Um, if I can have conversations with people who haven't been able to fully face what they're going through um, and help them maybe connect more dots, that is worth it. Um, for me, just being able to empathize with others uh, has been great. I love that answer. And I, we talk about the wounded healer on this podcast a lot. It's a quote I read almost every podcast, but the wounded healer, we're all wounded healers in some way. We've all been wounded in some ways. But then we're authentically able to lead others out of a desert because we know that desert firsthand. And so you know some pretty brutal deserts, Mallory, and you're able then to be the wounded healer for others, and I admire your courage to share your voice. Well, you've got kids age 9 to 3. Um, will you eventually tell this part of your story to them? And if so, why? Um, we have had a very age-appropriate conversation with our 9- and 6-year-olds, um, just saying, hey, like someone touched me when I didn't want them to. It made me feel uncomfortable. And we have conversations of, has anybody done anything, said anything to you to make you feel uncomfortable? And obviously as they grow older, uh, they'll, they'll know more because I feel like that's important to be open 
if we're not open and we can't have open conversations, we can't protect our children and we can't help others by not talking about it. I love that. And it sounds like you introduced that subject to your kids by saying, I was touched inappropriately. Is that right? Yes. Why? Um, We've just because it needs to be talked about. Also, just as recently talking that we were going to come here to do podcasts of, well, this is why, because we touch on it more, like, because I needed to help other people. And um, so that's, I don't know, we just build on it as they grow, as they get older. I love these age-appropriate conversations. You, you guys are 20 years or more younger than me. If I do my math real quick, I'm in my 60th year, and but I just love the parenting skills you have where you're having these age-appropriate conversations with your kids. And I love that you told your kids I was touched inappropriately. To me, that makes it, to me, that just signals to your kids that you're real and I can talk to you about stuff in my life because stuff sort of occurred in your life. And I've always thought as a parent, we want to create a, an environment that our kids will talk to us about what's going on in their life and maybe being vulnerable in an age-appropriate way about things that have occurred in our life makes it easier for them to do that. And so I think there'll be some just tender moments. I I hope and pray that your kids and all kids are never a victim of sexual assault, but they may have difficult things that come in their life that are different, complete categories, but they may, just because you're having these conversations, be able to talk to you about other stuff that's coming in their lives and you just create this feeling that you're safe for your kids to talk about what's going on in their lives. Yeah. Are there any other, we're kind of coming to the end, are there, I want to ask about the atonement. Sometimes the atonement is really helpful and sometimes it's less helpful. Some people can say the atonement really took this from me and not this, there's no sin here to take away but just hope and healing and other people there's a general feeling that Christ has been there and he's helped, but there's not like a dramatic, specific experience. Any thoughts on the role of the atonement to help you on this road? Um, I don't have a specific moment where I really felt that. I know that I wasn't alone and that my Heavenly Father loves me, um, but I don't have a specific moment like where I felt like I was carried through, but I know I wasn't alone. I love that. Some of our listeners have been suggesting the role of Heavenly Mother sometimes for women that are victims of sexual assaults and they've lost trust in men a little bit and Heavenly Father's a man and we don't pray to Heavenly Mother, but a couple of our podcast guests have talked about the role of Heavenly Mother and sort of talking, praying to Heavenly Father and asking Heavenly Father to have Heavenly Mother bless their lives and and help them. And I, I... I like the increased role of Heavenly Mother in our lives. I need her in my life as a man, but I recognize sometimes her unique role when loss of trust has been created at the hands of a male. Um, Any thoughts on that? I don't feel like because I was sexually abused that I distrust all men or have any... uh, hate towards them because it was just the three not anybody else so I don't have a generalization of being hateful towards that's a credit to you and that's a credit to you and your good heart and just your ability to sort of understand what happened in your situation 
Um, anything else that either of you would like to share? This has been a great podcast. You're a great couple. This has helped so many of our listeners. Anything else either of you would like to share? Will you give us your Instagram account one more time, Mallory? Yeah, so it's worth more than shame. And how just did you come on that on your own or did? Um, yeah, there was lots of brainstorming. So, and just because shame was such a big part of of my abuse, that is just working from. Amy Pearson, who's way back on the podcast, talked about my worth is set. Everything else is experience. And I like that. Um, sort of like my worth is set as a son or daughter of heavenly parents. That worth is set. And nothing I can do can take me outside the circle of heavenly parents' love. And I just believe that's core to our doctrine. Sometimes if we sin, they may not be as happy with us, but they still love us just like I love my kids. And I'll, this isn't a podcast about sin. I don't want to infer that, but I just love you've, this this worth on their T-shirts is in big capital letters with a forward sign pointing to shame, you know, kind of like we do on Twitter sometimes, greater than. Um, and shame's in lower cap, lowercase letters, smaller, and I just love the visual of that. So I just agree with what you're teaching, that our worth is set. Um, nothing we can do can take us outside of God's love. Shame says, I am bad versus I did something bad, even though you didn't do anything bad here. But I think Satan's greatest tool is to, is to exist in our shame and our self-loathing and, and to sort of then pull us away from the love of our heavenly parents or feeling like we belong or feeling like we're worthy of love. And, and so I love what you're doing here um, and your great work. So Mallory and Jeff Tingey, Thank you for being on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. This will help so many. And this is your host, Richard Osler, signing off. Mm -hmm.